Welcome to the Fierce Mama Warrior Podcast. This is your host, Jackie Hyman, and this is your hub of women who live to improve the lives of other women on the motherhood journey, health, wellness, and being their best. Hello there to my Fierce Mama Warriors. I just want to, first of all, take a second to thank you for tuning in to this show. Thank you for being a part of it with me. Thank you for being here. So I'm stoked to introduce this next guest because when I think of empowering women through pregnancy and birth, I think of her. Tali Mansdorf is a naturopathic doula. She was my doula for my first two births. The first time I used her, she had only done 15 births and she had never had any of her own kids. And I took a chance on her because I saw something special there. I saw that passion. And I, she did. She actually had this like magical power as a doula where... I remember with one of my births, you know, I was in the car and she like hopped in, we like picked her up on the way to the hospital. She hopped in the car and she just knew intuitively to change the position I was in and I felt so much better. So she has this very special gift when it comes to leading and empowering and giving a hand, giving support to women who are going through pregnancy and especially going through birth, which is a crazy intense process. And when you're going through that, you want someone like Tali by your side. You really do because it makes all the difference to have someone you trust, someone who has done this before, someone who knows what they're doing and someone who cares about you going through it with you. So in this episode, you will learn about all the different roles of doulas, some of which you may not know. You will learn what Tali says when people ask her, well, you've never gone through birth yourself. How does that impact your role as a doula? You will learn some of the secrets of midwifing that Tali learns when she goes to Mexico to learn ancient midwifery. And you will learn the one thing that you can do to overcome fear during your labor. This is such an incredible conversation. I hope you enjoy. Tali. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored to have you here. I've been waiting and waiting for this episode. You're so sweet. I'm so excited. How are you? I'm great. Okay, let's jump right in. Okay, let's do it. So just for a background, Tali is a doula. She was my doula for two births. And then for my last birth, she was in Mexico. That's right. Learning ancient midwifery. So we'll get to that later because that's... Super exciting. But um, I asked her here onto the show because she was so helpful and inspiring to me during my pregnancies. And she has been doulaing. Is that a word? That is a word. <laughs> a made up word, but it's a word. Doulaing a lot of the people that I love as well. So she is one of the most empowering people when it comes to birth, when it comes to pregnancy, to just help women through that because it can be scary, it can be hard, and um, women need support during that time. And I don't know if Tali is the best doula because I haven't met all of (laughs) this. She's definitely my favorite doula. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely my favorite. Okay, so... 
I'd love a little bit of a background story because I haven't ever heard. What brought you to this path of becoming a doula? So it's such a good question. And I actually get that question pretty often from people that come to meet me. They, you know, they ask, how did you get into it? And I wish I had a story of like, (laughs) this is what happened. And therefore I became a doula. Um, When I think back to when I started about 14 years ago, it's been quite a while, I was studying natural medicine and I wanted to specialize in women's health, anything that had to do with women's health. And uh, during the program that I was studying, they opened up a doula course. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do this. Just, you know, as another course that'll help enrich what I'm doing as a naturopath. And um, I started this journey in this course. It was like a course of uh, maybe there were about 20 of us or 15 of us. And um, I was the youngest. I was 20, 21. And most of them were were mothers after many births, home births, into natural birth. And I was just introduced to this entire world. And what's actually really fascinating is midway or towards the end of the course, I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. This, I, I don't know. It's cute, but I, I don't know. And then I started because I needed to get births done in order for my, you know, to finish my certification. And I fell in love with it and it just became really obvious. And I just did one and then another and it became my entire life. (laughs) So that's actually where it comes from. It's funny because my national service I did in a hospital in the maternity ward. So it would be the most obvious answer to be like, I did it when I was 18 in the maternity ward and then, but it has nothing to do with that. (laughs) It just kind of came to me. Wow. Yeah. But I feel like that's so many stories though. Yeah, for sure. It's just like sort of falls into your path yeah. and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to go this so, way. You know, it sounds pretty cliche, you know, kind of like I didn't choose it, it chose me. But but I really feel like that's kind of what happened here. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Wow. I guess for those of people who may not be so familiar with what a doula does or like why someone would want to hire a mm-hmm. doula because I've heard a lot like, oh, I don't need I a don't doula. I don't need it, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I like just saw so many benefits from it. But I want to hear from you, like what, what, what do you do benefits? for women? Yeah. Okay, so it depends. It really, the way that I like to look at it is to see who my client is and to see what their needs are because there's so many different needs in pregnancy and there's so many different needs in the process. It could be somebody who's on baby number five and they have really different needs than somebody that's their first baby. So it's so many different things depending on who the client is. It also has to do with the relationship that they're in, you know, who their partner is and what their partner needs. A lot of the times, a lot of the work that I do is also for the partner. You know, it's not only for the woman. It's for, it's for the partner, it's for the relationship. Sometimes I have um, couples that come and they come together with their partner and I look at the partner and I say, so what about you? And they're like, I don't know, she wants it, I'll do what she wants. And then at the end, they end up loving doulas more than the women do. So it's, it's a lot of different things for the couple. Um, basically, I can say that the main things, the way that I like to describe it is it's like a tree with many different branches and people can choose what branch is right for them, all, some, you know, anything. So one of them would be more preparation mentally, physically, emotionally to, to know what you're going through and to know what you're getting yourself, you know, what journey you're going down. Another one would be emotional support, you know, to have somebody there that's available to them 24-7 that can guide them when they're going through something. And then obviously also, let's say it's a hospital birth, you know, we also do home births. So it's not only a lot of people think that doula work is like an advocate in the hospital. It's, it's really, it can be part of it. Sometimes it's not at all. 
but sometimes it can be. Sometimes it could be knowing, you know, the right people in the medical team, offering them other opinions that maybe they didn't know existed. You know, sometimes you have a doctor that comes in and says something. So I would never tell a woman not to listen to a doctor. I would never tell somebody, don't do that. But I might say, you know, I know that there's another opinion. Maybe we could get another doctor and hear another opinion and you can choose what's right for you. So it's kind of opening up the eyes to something that they may not know even is available. So it's, a, it's so many different things, but that's some of it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I think one thing that's really different about birth in Israel versus America is that in the States, you have an OB who you sure, meet following with you. during your pregnancy and then they're there at the birth. Consistent care. Right. Yeah. And here you don't have, it's whoever's on shift in the hospital. Whoever's on shift. That's right. So, And it could be many people because if you're there for two shifts or you're at the end of one shift and you all of a sudden, I've had women who have been at the stage where they start feeling pressure and pushing and then all of a sudden another midwife comes in and is like, hi, my name is so-and-so. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That happens. It's crazy. Yeah. So for me to have someone supporting me throughout my pregnancy and then their face is there at the birth was so valuable and like that that consistent care as you put it was was super valuable to me 100% it's the safety of knowing that you're with somebody that knows you that knows what's important to you that you don't have to start explaining yourself you don't have to start um understanding the vibe with the new person when you're in such a vulnerable intimate state 100% yes okay you call yourself a naturopathic doula right that's true <laughs> so What does that mean and how do you feel like that sets you apart from other doulas? Okay, so basically it ties into the original story that I told that I was studying naturopathic medicine originally. So what that means is that I have a background in holistic health, whether it be nutrition or herbs or acupuncture, acupressure. All of those tools are very, very helpful for anything having to do with fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum. So I think that... um, Part of what makes a doula a good doula is to come with a toolbox. You never know what you're going to need and what you're going to need to use. But like I said, you have so many different clients and everybody has different needs that you want to make sure you have your toolbox with you and you can kind of pull out different techniques when needed. So coming from that background just allows me to add a lot more uh, tools into what I do, whether it be nutrition or somebody's having an issue and... um, a urinary tract infection, repeated ones or anything like that. They can discuss it with me and I can give them guidance with those issues as well. So cool. I remember that with me, you you made me like a Bach potion. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. Um, you made me a Bach potion out of, out of it's like flower extracts, yeah, right? Flower and they, essence. They mm-hmm. have, you know, like special magical powers, but really it's just like, it's like stones, you know, they have a, sure. a certain vibration that can be healing. Right. Um, so you sort of made a mix based on what, 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 what you needed. I needed. Before birth or for the birth. I really think it helped. Yeah. It, it's a great I tool. I really think it was. I always say like I believe in magic yeah. that it's real like it like that kind of thing like yeah. it really did help me so um, there was just there was like so many things essential oils yeah. and acupuncture mm-hmm. and all of these things that help women so much definitely so when I was first pregnant I realized that the landscape had changed so much from when my mom was doing the pregnancy and birth thing. Mm-hmm. And you were one of the people that helped me really realize that. So can you talk a little bit about how you see how pregnancy and birth has changed either the societal concepts or practices surrounding it throughout the last few decades? 
Okay, such an interesting question because I think it really has gone in two different paths. You know, if we look all the way back to when women were having babies and midwifery and pregnancy and fertility, women gave birth together. They were exposed to it. It was a very natural process. It was very intuitive. Um, They grew up with it. They saw it, nursing. Everything was very obvious. And they also weren't alone, which was another thing. You know, they didn't go through the process alone and then postpartum alone. It was a very different way of living. And, you know... Throughout the ages, things have shifted and changed it and, you know, with the medical world and everything. So we're at a point today where in general things are shifting, not only in the birth world. You have a lot of awareness to, I don't know what the right word is, but there's more awareness to, to being empowered, to intuition, to spirituality. So with that whole vibe, birth has gone there as well. So we, we have two directions. We also have the medical world where people are not... Um, where people are going in that direction. That's what they feel is right for them. And um, there can be issues with that. But for some people, that works. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against the medical world at all. I think it's important and I think it's good that we have good prenatal care. What I mean by that is that sometimes people give over their birth too much to the medical world without understanding that they're a huge part of the process of decision-making of what's right for them, what their options are. People are, you know, they don't even know that they can give birth in different positions, that they don't need to be on their back, things like that, which a lot of it comes from movies and ways that we grow up and that we see. So we still have that going on, but then we also have a lot of um, awakening to wait a minute. What is this? This is my birth. What are my options? What can I do? What's more comfortable for me? Um, how can I make it a more private, intimate experience? So, so it's interesting. It's interesting what's going on in the birth world these days. That's so cool. So Western medicine, I'm so glad it exists. Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> so glad it exists. I want to clip, yeah, 100%. So, so am I. But I feel like, yeah, there is a, lo- a lot of... Um, Sometimes there's a lot of power that they take away from the patient. 100%. There's a really a thin line. There's a really thin line that goes on in the birth world. There, yeah. It's a whole, <laughs> it's a, I have a lot to say about that. But yeah, it's a really, really thin line. There's the power of speech that sometimes in a hospital, you know, it's so fast paced and there's so much going on and in and out that people aren't as sensitive to it. Or if they don't have the relationship with the patient, you know, they don't know them f- for so long. They know them for two and a half seconds. They come in the room. The dynamic is different. There's nothing, you know, it's just the way the energy of it is in that circumstance, as opposed to somebody, let's say, who has continuous care, who's in an intimate environment, who knows their client, who knows what's important to them. The birth is going to look different. So do you feel like the pendulum is swinging back a little bit in the other direction nowadays towards the way things used to be? I think people are are desiring that. People are looking for that. That's so cool. So if you're looking for that, (laughs) get in touch with Sally. Um, Okay, so I'm really curious about this question because I feel like when I first heard, someone first suggested you as a doula to me, but I was like, but she's never done it herself. She's never Mm -hmm. given birth herself. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously after I met you, I was like, well, she's the perfect person. (laughs) But what do you say to people who question your role as a doula and uh-huh. never having gone through birth yourself. Okay, I love that question. Okay, I'm very, I appreciate it when people bring that up as opposed to just think about it in the background and, and not actually say anything. So I've obviously gotten this question often, so I've thought about it a lot. The first thing that I can say is that I believe that anybody that has a passion or a desire to do something, they will do the job 
really well. If you love what you do and you want to do it and you're passionate about it, it'll come through. And being a doula requires a lot. There's a lot behind the scenes that people don't really see in our life. Um, My life really revolves around it. I have to plan my vacations like well in advance, like eight, nine months. Um, I can't really travel so much out of the city. If I have people that are expecting, my phone is with me all the time. I sleep with it next to me, which I don't love, but it's the reality. There's a lot that's involved in it. So we sacrifice a lot. That means that in order to do something like that, you have to really love it. So the passion and the love for what I do, I think that beats everything. You need it. So that, that's number one. And I, and I have that. It's, it's a really big part of my life. The second thing I can say is we're speaking about empathy. And I personally don't think that people need to go through a specific experience in order to have empathy for someone. I think if that was the reality we lived in, it would be a very sad reality. If we can only be empathetic towards people if we knew what they had experienced themselves. You know, you, you don't have to experience what somebody experienced in order to be there for them. So that's number one. And on top of that, it's also knowledge. It's things that I've learned. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just tools that work. So I, I come with the knowledge and that's something that I can give over whether I've experienced it myself or not. And after seeing hundreds of births, no two women give birth the same way. So even if I had my own experience, it's uh, healthy to come from a place of not taking my experience onto somebody else and appreciating each one for their own unique experience of what it is. So, you know, that's, that's the answer that I have now. Maybe after I have my own babies, it'll change, but I definitely do see a benefit in the place that I'm in right now to experience it from a clean place, from an individual place. And, and besides for that, you know, birth is very much the way that I see it. It's very much like life. There's a lot of um, parallels with birth and life. And I think the tools, a lot of it is a lot of mind tools. And um, let's say if we were to take a contraction and what do we do when there's a contraction versus what do we do when there's a break? It's kind of like life philosophy. It's what do you do in life when you're going through something that's challenging and what do you do when you're not going through something challenging, do you wait and anticipate the next thing that's going to happen? Or are you like, I'm good now. Let me enjoy this. Those are the tools that I teach in birth preparation of how to approach it. And that's just life. So I've, I've lived and I'm living. So I have that. And yeah, that's pretty much my answer to that. That's so cool. When I thought about this question, I was, I was thinking about like, why did, how did my mindset change surrounding, you know, just that question of like, well, she's never done it herself. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean for her role as a doula? And I think afterwards, looking back, I really do agree that like there is something to never having done it yourself because mm-hmm. there's something about birth where we sort of all want to put our trips on each other. Oh, for sure. <laughs> this is what happened to me and it's going to happen to you. Like, just <laughs> you wait. Like that, like that whole sort of, that's like a lot of the discussion I hear around birth. Sure. So when you don't have your own experience, you're coming with, an open, clean slate. And like you said, every woman gives birth differently and you really don't know no, what have, it's going to be. You, you don't, don't know, know how it's going to be. Mm-mm. So coming with that openness, I feel like is a really big uh, asset. Definitely. To a doula. For sure. There's, if you've ever seen the documentary, The Business of Being Born, have you heard no, of that? No, but I, I'm fanta- going to write that down. It's a really great documentary. I love it. It's a Ricky Lake actually made this documentary. She got really big into the birth world and she um, she just researched and documented the birth world and basically everything we're discussing now. But she interviews a midwife there who 
um, speaks about her own birth. And, and before she had babies, she was a midwife. And she said that her first birth after she had a baby, such a funny scene, she, she just said that she looked at the woman with like a frozen face and she was just like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you're going through this. She said she was like, so her own experience came up for her and she was just like lost. <laughs> I mean, it passed afterwards, but, but it's back to what we were saying that sometimes coming from a clean place has its benefit as well. Totally. Yeah. And I also uh, remember because I know you were friends with my husband, Yakir, yeah. for many years. Yeah. So they, like d- dating back to college days. Totally. So, and I remember him saying like, Tali just always had this like, Weird passion for, for birth. birth. That's right. I spoke <laughs> like about always. it. She talked about, spoke it, all about it all the time to these like 20 year old men. <laughs> yep. Placenta was the topic of conversation. Um, and and uh, I just think that's so, it's so true that like it's really your passion yeah. that makes you incredible at what you do. Thank you. Thank it you. really is that passion. So lately, I've been really loving following you on social media. Thank you. Um, and especially the stories that are coming out of your trips to Mexico. Uh-huh. So tell us a little bit about why you go to Mexico every year now and if you could share like what one of your craziest stories. I would love that. Wow. Okay, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Mexico. Mexico's another world. It's very, very different. And I specifically went to study with a traditional midwife um, who she's a midwife and her mother was a midwife and her grandmother was a midwife and she started um, working in the birth world when she was like eight. You know, she helped out from that age. She was exposed to it. And I was really fascinated and they have very, very specific techniques that they that they use and they're very, um, they have a lot of tools that they use that can really help out for a normal physiological birth. So I was curious and I, and I got in touch with her and I went and I stayed with her for a month in her home and just followed her around. And then the next year when I went back, I did the same thing, but I also went to visit another midwife just for a little bit in the Yucatan, a Mayan midwife who does not speak Spanish. She speaks Mayan. So there was obviously a translator involved there, but it's a whole nother world. And they're very, very deep within the birth world. They have an appreciation for fertility and birth and there's something very special there. So that's what got me there. Crazy stories, yeah. a whole bunch of crazy stories. <laughs> I think I think there, there, there are two stories that actually stand out in my mind. One of them was something that I wouldn't see in Israel in a birth world. Um, there was a woman who was birthing and she reached about nine centimeters and she fell asleep. She just fell asleep. And I looked at the midwife and I was like, what is going on? She's nine centimeters, like, yalla, like she needs to give birth. What's happening? The contraction stuff, like, let's try to do different techniques to bring it on, to do something. And, um, and I looked at her and I said, transition, like, no. And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, transition. And I'm like, yeah, but transition. <laughs> and she's like, aha, transition. And I was so confused. And then she was like, she needs to sleep. Like she's just been laboring and laboring and laboring. Her body wants rest before she starts pushing. Like let her sleep. What's the problem? The baby's feeling fine. Everything's okay. And she slept for like a a good couple of hours. She just slept and then she woke up and she gave birth to her baby. And that was like very eye-opening for me because you don't really see that so much here. Like if someone's nine centimeters, you got to get things going. And then we bring out all the tools that we have. Let's try to get things going. And it was very interesting to see that some people are just like, listen to the body. So there are pros and cons to everything. 
you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think that that's always normal, but in this case it was, and it was really um, eye-opening. So that was a crazy like birth story of something unique that may not sound so crazy, but it, but it really is. Sounds crazy to me. Okay. Okay. Good. (laughs) Um, Another story would be um, the Mayan midwife that I met. And I asked her how she got involved in midwifery, you know, who she studied from and if, if it was something that she learned from another midwife or from her mother. And um, she shared with me that she had a dream and she was pregnant and there was something with the position of the baby. And she had a dream that a messenger, an angel, some spirit came to her and told her to do something specific with a massage that would help her have an easier delivery. And she did it and she gave birth and it was totally great. And she kept having dreams. And anytime she had a dream with this spirit that told her what to do at a birth, she went to a birth and she did it. And that is how she studied midwifery. Oh Wild, right? So, so it's a different world, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of beauty in it. As it's, it's a really beautiful country. That's amazing. Yeah, and besides, for you know, seeing different women birth, seeing it's it's a different culture, but birth is something that actually happens everywhere. That's so similar. So there's the little things about it that if you just let a woman birth, you'll see that that's very similar in every place. But the different traditions that they have with it, different herbs that they use, the whole technique with the rebozo, if you're familiar, it's like a Mexican scarf that's made for women for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. And they use it in many different ways to kind of help out during that time. A lot of abdominal, uterine massage, there's uh, sweat lodges. Those are all different techniques and different traditions that they have there, which are all related to the to, to birth. And it's, it's fascinating. I love it. So you're saying Mexico is a bit of like a, a hub for birthing techniques. Yeah, it's like definitely, it's, I would say so. It's cultural. Yeah, it's cultural for sure. That's 100%. Incredible. And I love the story about the woman falling asleep because you're right, like that would never happen here. No, it, I mean, more, I've never seen it. I can say that. <laughs> I've never seen that. It's like, okay, like don't don't stop now. Keep going. Yeah. Keep pushing. Keep, you know. I, I've seen like, okay, it's nine, 10 centimeters. The contractions are slowing down. Let's add a little bit of Pitocin to kind of help you out because your uterus is tired. Wow. Yeah. What a different mindset. Totally. And again, you know, I can't, I can't say one is right and the other is wrong. I think there's a very gray area. And I think to go to any extreme in the birth world is not always great. It's really fascinating to open our mind to that gray area. Yeah, I love it. I love it because <clears throat> I've been working a lot on, on like mindful eating, which is also like you don't need necessarily someone to tell you what to eat or how much to eat. Like your body's giving Definitely. you all the signals of what you born need. With them and you just need to learn how to like get in touch with the signals that your body's already giving you. So I feel like the whole world of mindfulness plays into birth a lot. Oh, it's incredible. A hundred percent. It's a great tool. <laughs> okay. What do you feel is the biggest struggle that pregnant expecting women are going through? Like what's the thing that keeps coming up with your clients? It's a good question. I think the fact that there isn't continuous care can be a struggle. I think that people go to their doctor and they don't really have... that. That's something that comes up very often when I ask them, who's your doctor? How's your experience with the doctor? They kind of are like, what experience with my doctor? I don't know. They give me a piece of paper and I leave and then I call you and ask you what I'm supposed to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't... So, so I think, you know, thank God I work with women and I, and, I, and I help them through that. But I imagine people that don't have a doula or I don't know, they don't have who to turn to, that can be a really big struggle to not have um, 
good continuous care. It's, it's not anything obviously wrong with a specific doctor. It's the system. The system allows you five minutes with a patient. And women that are pregnant, they need, a, they need more than five minutes. There's a lot going on. There's an emotional aspect. There's a physical aspect. There's questions on their health. How can you do that in five minutes? You know, when, when somebody sits down on my couch and I ask them, how are you feeling? And they start answering. And then I say, how are you feeling emotionally? They're sometimes like, what? Someone's asking me that? Like a caregiver is asking me that because they're not used to it. And I think that that can be a really big struggle. Um, I think the fact that even though we have community and we have, you know, each other, we have each other's support, there is something about being alone in the process. It's, it's again, it's not the way people used to live. And people may feel alone in it, especially postpartum. That's, that's, you know, that's more postpartum. I think stories that come up, I think when people speak about their birth, I'm very open with people speaking about their birth, but people hear stories and they get very scared based on those stories. Those may be the struggles, some of them. I'd love to hear more about birth stories because I feel very strongly about this. I know with, um, with my first birth, I really didn't want to listen to any of the scary stories. And I think that honestly, me sort of just pinging away all of those stories that might scare me definitely had an impact on how wonderfully the birth went because it was, it was, uh, like, it was like the dream birth. It was, yeah, like, it was great. <laughs> it was really like, great. Aside from a few things, but like, listen, I'm not going to focus on the, on the negative, but it was wonderful. Yeah. And I was open to that. And, I think, like we said, when you put your trip on someone, it sort of closes them off a little bit more to what could be, the positive of what could be. And I'm wondering, though, because women do need a place to share their stories 100% about birth. It's really important. Those voices are important. Those, those stories are important. Yeah. So what's the balance between giving women the space to share and also filtering out scary stories. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And filtering it's a, out scary stories at the same time. It's a good question. I'm not sure. I think that it's, um, I think that, that what, what the problem is with the scary stories of women who have yet to give birth or they're pregnant is that they have fear put in them. And fear is like something that we really, it, it exists, but it's something that we want to minimize as much as we can at birth because fear will release adrenaline physiologically. It just doesn't work in the birth realm. It doesn't work. We need to be in a space that we call an oxytocin environment. That is what works. That's the hormone. So we're working physiologically. It's not even like a spiritual hippie thing of like, let's make this a beautiful experience without fear. It's actually physiological. Like if somebody is scared, they're tense, they're releasing adrenaline, it can cause a whole bunch of different things. And I don't want to get women scared now. Like, oh my God, I can't be scared because it's right. going to cause a whole problem. <laughs> no, like no, scared of being no, no, scared. no. Don't be scared of being scared. It's okay to be scared as well. We work through that. But if somebody's only hearing scary stories, they're going to the worst case scenario and we want to avoid that as much as possible. But at the same time, it's totally true what you're saying. They're birth stories and women come out with certain experiences and part of healing is telling that story. So there actually is, there's... um. There's certain techniques. There's something called BOT, birth-oriented therapy, which is a technique of processing the birth and healing through telling your story. And there are practitioners that do BOT. And I think that if somebody feels that they have a birth story that they need to process and heal from, it's definitely recommended to maybe touch base and see somebody that does BOT. There are birth circle stories where people get together and they share their stories. So there are places and ways to do it in a way that'll be helpful. 
you know, because if you're telling a story for the purpose of releasing it, it's for healing. And that's a positive thing. There's a difference between that and meeting somebody on the bus and saying, oh my God, I had the worst story. Oh my God, it was so bad. I get that. I get the need for it. But if it's done in an appropriate setting, it can actually help with the healing of it, which is the purpose. So maybe that's the balance. Great. So you're saying there are spaces Definitely. for women to share, to voice their stories and heal yeah. from men without just sort of like, I feel like it's kind of like the crab in the pot when it's boiling, they pull down all the other crabs into the water. Yeah. It's like, well, this happened to me and it was so bad. Like, you know, if I had a bad experience, then I want you to have one too. Like yeah. not, not consciously. Not consciously. People are not, not consciously no. um, that nasty, but it's subconsciously, it's, it's, it's sharing. You, know, you don't want to feel alone. Feel the pain together. You don't want to exactly. feel alone. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, listeners, if you had a birth story that was painful to you or that was really difficult and you're still working through it, there is a space for you to share um, and to heal. And to heal. And that's incredible. And hopefully, we'll get more resources surrounding that mm-hmm. uh, in the show notes. Because that's really important for those women. Yeah. Um, But also, I think an important message to put out there is to think about what you're sharing and with who and why before you do so. Because my personal belief, it can have an impact on the outcome of that woman's birth. Mm -hmm. Also something that I find is that when I speak to people about their birth experience and if they've had a challenging experience, they'll speak about the challenge. Meaning... They'll have an entire birth and what'll come up for them is the part that's maybe the strongest, which is the difficult part. And that's, that becomes their whole birth. And it's important sometimes to look at the whole story because birth is made up of a lot of things. Let's say you had a situation in early labor where you were at home and you were having a great time and you were totally managing and you were laughing. That's also part of your story. And we can't ignore that, you know, but I, I hear that maybe at some point, point of the birth, it was a difficult part. And then that becomes the voice of the story. But you know, I invite women to kind of be open to everything that they experienced in their birth because it's so many different things and hold on to all pieces of the story. I love that. Yeah. I love that message of a story, a complete story is both the good and the bad. Yeah, you have definitely. To, you have to hold on to both. Okay. Is there something that you would recommend to buy uh, for women who are expecting, that's $25 or less, 100 shekels or less that could seriously help expecting women with their pregnancy or their birth or something that could help them. So there are many different things. It could be like herbs, which are pretty cheap. And there's certain herbs like the well-known red raspberry leaf and other herbs that can help tone the uterus, which I think are fantastic. And I love them, but not everybody connects to that. It could be something like a rebozo. I love rebozos. It's like, I think they're such great tools. If I had to bring one thing to a birth, it would be a rebozo. Tell us what the tea leaves do and tell us what the rebozos do. Okay, so the the tea leaves, red raspberry leaf, actually a lot of people believe or they have been taught that red raspberry leaf induces labor. It does not induce labor. What it does is it tones the uterus. So the uterus is a muscle and it's like taking the uterus to the gym. It makes it toned. So 
when the uterus is nice and toned, anytime that it has a contraction, the contraction is more effective. And you know the whole concept of a tired uterus because of a long labor, it can avoid that or it can help avoid that. So there are herbalists that actually recommend taking it from the first trimester. So you know each situation is different and I don't recommend everyone to start taking it from the first trimester, but definitely get in touch with an herbalist and see what's right for you. But that's actually what red raspberry leaf does. It's, actually, it's also good for postpartum. It helps with breast milk. It helps contract the uterus back. It helps you know, prevent uh, bleeding for a while. So I think that the herbs are fantastic. Um, what was your other question? The rebozo? Yeah, okay. tell us about the rebozo. Okay, the what rebozo. it does. Rebozo is so great. A rebozo, again, it's, it's, they use it in, uh, in Central America and South America. It's a, it's a scarf. It's a woven scarf that's, that's quite big, um, a meter... Plus, they use it for baby carrying, also after birth, but it's made by women for women. So it's it's used during the pregnancy to kind of as like a belly belt, kind of to kind of hold and lift the belly upward. It's used for certain exercises during the pregnancy, like uh, what we call rebozo sifting, where you kind of a woman's lying. She's like let's say on all fours or leaning on a couch, and you kind of um, hammock the baby with a with the rebozo and you kind of sift a little bit and it gives a little bit of a uterine massage, takes off a little bit of the pressure on the back. And it can be used in many different techniques for pain management during the birth itself and to help the labor progress. And then after birth, it's used for belly binding to kind of close and do a closing ceremony, which is something that they do in Mexico after birth, six weeks after birth to close the experience and the bones and then use it as a baby carrier. So it's it's kind of this all-purpose material that's used for for many different stages. So I I love it. I think it's beautiful. I love that. It's one piece of fabric that's used for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum postpartum and the baby. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I (laughs) love it. Amazing. And I remember in my birth, you wrapped it around my hips. Yeah, to do a hip squeeze. Yeah. You pulled one side and you care pulled pulled the the other other side. (laughs) You're squeezing my hips. And I was like Harder. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the harder you pull, the more pain is taken away. It yeah. feels like a massage that's taking away the pain. Definitely. I recently had somebody who um, who used a rebozo for, uh, also for her pregnancy for a few of these exercises and at the birth we used it. And then I was at the Breit and they put the baby on the rebozo at the Breit. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. You're using the rebozo at the Breit. That's stunning. Yeah. That is stunning. Okay. Um I'd like to actually circle back to okay. something because I think we could go deeper on it. You spoke about oxytocin mm-hmm. and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that during the birth, we want to minimize adrenaline and increase oxytocin. So can you tell us what those two hormones do and how you can increase your oxytocin during birth and reduce your adrenaline? So adrenaline, as most people know, it's a stress hormone. It's, it's in stressed out situations, fight or flight, when there's a situation that requires fast thinking, intensity, fear, adrenaline comes in our body to be able to handle those situations. Somebody is being attacked by a lion, they're going to run. The adrenaline is going to come and they're going to run away. So the association with adrenaline is, is the opposite of calm. It's, uh, you know, we have we have, the, um, we have the hormones that help us handle stressful situations and we have the hormones that are released when we're more calm and, um, and soothed in that kind of environment. So adrenaline is really 
that hormone that is responsible for that. We actually do have adrenaline in birth, but it comes at, at a certain point. Let's say right before a woman starts pushing, she needs a lot of energy. There's an adrenaline boost and you feel that. You feel that shift in, in birth when all of a sudden you go from one zone to the other and you, you start pushing, you get more adrenaline. It's necessary at a certain point, but it's definitely not necessary or helpful for the entire birth. So what I like to speak about with my clients is an oxytocin environment because the the hormone that that works is oxytocin and if you you know if women are familiar with pitocin which is a synthetic drug that's used in in labor to sometimes um, augment the the birth and to help accelerate it it's a synthetic form so we know that it's clearly an important hormone but if we look at the roots of what oxytocin is from our physiological standpoint and from how we are able to influence that in our bodies there are many 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 ways so um, Ina May Gaskin, a very well-known home birth midwife in the United States, she says the energy that gets the baby in gets the baby out. You can take that technically and you can also look at it and understand what that means. So the energy that gets the baby in is, is obviously intimacy. And usually in intimate environments, let's say it's dark, it's private, it's closed, it's quiet, there aren't many people, that is the appropriate environment that's going to release oxytocin. That's, that's what we're looking for. And really for each woman, it's, it's different. And uh, a tool that I like to give people to use is before they go into the delivery room or whether it's at home, wherever they decide to deliver, they should make a list of their five senses. And under each of their senses, think what releases oxytocin for me? Because every little drop of oxytocin is incredibly helpful at birth. So let's say it would be sight. What are you seeing? Do you want dim lights? Do you want candles? Do you want certain affirmations hung up that are helpful for you? Who do you want to see? Do you want your mother there or you do not want your mother there? Do you want a picture of your, if it's you know not a first birth, do you want a picture of your children? Or if it's a first birth, do you want a picture of your friends or your family? What, what, do you, what information is being told to you that's going to help release it? Because we, we have an effect on our oxytocin levels. So that's one way that we can do it. And I think that being in an environment that's an oxytocin environment is incredibly, incredibly helpful for the progression of a healthy physiological birth. We see it a lot. So cool. Thank you. Yeah. You're giving me all kinds of ideas about like printing out pictures for my friends. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. our friends. To yeah. like take with them to the hospital. I think that is so great. You need, you need to be in a calm environment. And there is this um, parallel that we speak about that may sound funny, but imagine... Let's say you needed to go to the bathroom, okay? And you were at someone's house and um, the bathroom was next to the table where there's a big dinner party and there are a lot of people and you go into the bathroom, you really need to go and you sit down and all of a sudden someone touches the knob. What is your experience physiologically? Oh my God, I freak exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> you're not alone. You know, you might tense up, you might jump up off the toilet, you might, that's... That's that experience based on your environment, based on what's going on. And then take another example, if you're home alone and no one's there, what's the experience like? It's very different. So we're using those parts of our body and we're using very intimate parts of our body and it's a very intimate experience. So clearly our environment is going to have an effect on it and clearly our hormones are going to have an effect on it. So it's wise to, you know, to, to think about how to, how to work with them wisely. So cool. This is so much good information for expecting women. Yeah. Thank I'm God. So, I'm so excited to hear, you know, to hear how our, the listeners maybe like get ideas for how to implement some of these things in their births. And um, my last question is I, I'd like to touch a little bit on how empowering you, how much you empowered me during my pregnancy. And I think 
when you empower someone, you know, you don't give them power, you show them the power that they already have. And the way you do that is simply by believing in them. Um, that's what I've seen through my work with women. And I feel like you really believe in the power of women to get through something as difficult and as challenging as pregnancy and birth can be. So I'd love to hear your message for women who are either having a very difficult pregnancy or are really scared of the birth experience. You know, if you could write like one little thing on a sticky note that they would wake up and see on their mirror every day, what would it say? Hmm. So many different messages that can be given there. I think one of the main tools that's helpful for women to go through and to kind of help minimize the fear is the message of being in the moment. Don't make decisions based on what will be. Be in the moment and, and see how, how, you're, how well you're handling it in the moment. You can always change your mind with the directions you're going in or things that you're doing. But a lot of fear is based on the unknown. And when people jump ahead to what will be, that's where most of the fear comes from. And if they come back to the moment, and that could be during pregnancy, and that could be at the birth. I mean, we see it all the time. I hear women all the time saying, this is really intense. Um, maybe I should get an epidural because what's it going to be like in an hour? And then I say to them, I don't know, because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to be in an hour. But I take it back to the moment. Is, is right now everything okay? They're like, it's intense. That for sure, 100%. It's challenging. But are you, do you feel like you're managing? Do you feel like you, you got this? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then stick to that. Like be in the moment. Don't don't allow the unknown or fear to dictate your decisions or your thoughts. To just kind of really be present is is I think uh, I think an important message. So it would say be in the moment. Be in the moment. Be in the moment for sure. I hope that everyone listening, every fierce mama warrior listening, really takes that to heart because it's such a powerful thing to come back to the here and now to, um, are you okay now? Like, yeah. like, look around you, what's going on? Are you safe? Right. Are you, you know, is anything happening right now? And if not, then... Then we'll make the decisions right. to help out, to, to help with that situation. But most of the time people are, or maybe, maybe it's intense for them, but they have what they need. And again, if they don't, they can solve that because they can ask and they can change things up and they can get what they need. But to jump ahead is... Is, never, is almost never a good idea. Right, especially with birth. 100%. Okay, this has been awesome. Thank I'm you. I'm so honored to have someone so knowledgeable, so empowering, so experienced, so passionate <laughs> about expecting mamas here on the show. And um, hopefully this won't be our last meeting together. Thank you, Jackie. This was such a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. There you have it, Tali Mansdorf naturopathic doula, such a wealth of information on pregnancy, on birth, on all of the things that we as women can do to get through birth and empower ourselves to know all the different options out there um, so that we can really take control of our birth experience as much as we can and have make it an empowering one. If you have any comments or questions, I would love to hear your feedback. I answer all my DMs on Instagram. So DM me on Instagram at Mama's Crushing or leave a comment on my Facebook page, 
Mama's Crushing Fitness on Facebook. And also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app so that you can hear more upcoming episodes with women who are devoted to helping other women and making their lives better on the motherhood journey. If you would like to follow along with or get in touch with Tali, you can find her at Tali Mansdorf Naturopathic Doula on Facebook or at naturopathic underscore doula on Instagram. And I'm sure she'd be happy to hear from you as well. Until next time, Fierce Mama Warriors, feel good, feel strong. 